Welcome to PwC's Next in Health podcast. I'm Ben Isker, and with me today, we have Trina Tadaros, who leads HRI. Welcome, Trina. Great to be here. Well, Trina, thank you so much for joining. We've got a really fun podcast today because we're going to be talking about what's going on with vaccines and employers. I know we've been covering vaccines with you for basically this past year, and it's kind of exciting that our conversation has changed from the development of vaccines to actually how we're using them and how they're getting out there in the community. So maybe we could start with the workplace because that's something we don't always talk about. And one question that's often out there is, can employers actually require an employee to be vaccinated? Yeah, you know, I think this is a big question for lots of employers. And the answer is yes, with a lot of caveats. So yes, an employer generally can require employees to be vaccinated. The EEOC came out with guidance in December, laying out all of the thinking around that. The fact that all three COVID-19 vaccines are under an emergency use authorization doesn't matter for the most part, although there are some lawsuits, and we'll talk about that in a second, that are challenging that. But in general, an employer can require employees to be vaccinated. And like I said, there are some exceptions, but not a lot of them. Well, I want to kind of continue on this theme of what's happening in our workplaces. And another question that comes up sometimes is around what is actually a vaccine considered? I mean, getting a vaccine, I mean, is it considered a, a medical exam? What is it? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's not. So this is important because For the purposes of the ADA, it's important whether something is considered a medical exam or screening or not. If you want to generalize about why that matters, employers are generally not allowed to ask you questions that would cause you to reveal that you have a disability. And so here the question is, is a vaccine a medical exam? And the answer is no under the ADA. So this is sort of part of the decision making around can employers require you to have a vaccine? Yes, the sort of interesting little wrinkle there is there are almost always pre-screening questions, pre-vaccine administration questions that you're asked. And so in that case, those questions have to be carefully crafted so that they do not cause an employee to reveal or force them to reveal that they have a disability. And there are some caveats to that too. For instance, if the vaccination is voluntary, then answering those questions is voluntary. And so then there's a a sort of a different outcome for that. And then also if an employee goes to a third party, let's say a retail pharmacy to get vaccinated voluntarily to fulfill a requirement to be vaccinated by their employer, then those screening questions don't have to sort of have that same kind of non-disability oriented orientation. So this is sort of an important piece of the whole thing. And it's also why employers have to think very carefully about mandating employees to have vaccinations, because the reality is it is somewhat complicated, even though in general, under federal policy, it's allowed. Well, our longtime listeners will know that the pandemic and the implementation of the interventions around the pandemic are often actually done by states and local jurisdictions. What it means is we've had a patchwork quilt of addressing the pandemic. Well, it looks like it's pretty similar in terms of what employers can do as well when it comes to vaccines and returning to work. So tell us a little bit about what's the role of employers vis-a-vis states and local jurisdictions. So again, just like you said, Ben, it's been a patchwork. And so even though we have the EEOC 
weighing in on employer-mandated vaccines. You still have state lawmakers busy in almost all 50 states passing laws that sort of aim to prohibit or limit what employers can do and require of their employees, especially around the vaccines that are under an emergency use authorization, because the thinking is, well, these haven't earned full approval yet from the FDA. So we have in many, many states, lawmakers busy crafting and considering laws that would put further limitations on what employers can do vis-a-vis the vaccines. And then you have some local jurisdictions such as Chicago, which are also sort of laying out requirements for employers when it comes to their employees and vaccines. In some cases, in the case of Chicago, requiring employers to give some certain amount of time off in order to allow their employees to be vaccinated, but also having some kinds of limitations or rules around if those vaccinations are required. So like I said, it's really complicated. As all employment law is, it involves looking at what the federal policy is, the state policy, and in some cases, the local policy as well, to sort of figure out what is allowed and how those programs should be rolled out. Well, let's skip ahead and kind of pivot a little bit to employer incentives around COVID-19 vaccinations. And I know you've actually done some research around this and and really compiled a list. So give us some examples of what type of at least incentives that we're seeing out there that employers are using. So like I said, it's very complicated to mandate vaccines for your employees, but it's not as complicated to offer incentives. And so what we have seen is a blizzard of employer incentives for employees to go get vaccinated, everything from airlines offering vouchers to their employees and extra vacation days to get vaccinated. We see a large number of companies, hotel companies, restaurant companies, grocery chains offering several hours of pay for each dose that their employee goes out and has administered. We see stipends for vaccination, just cash things like that. So we are seeing employers use the carrot more often than the stick so far. And we see just a huge number of companies offering this to try to get their employees, give them an incentive to go and get vaccinated. Well, you know, the other issue that we've been covering are requirements for vaccination. And it seems to me that the universities or higher educations might be leading the pack in that. This was sort of interesting to me when I was going to look around and see like what employers are actually requiring their employees to be vaccinated with all the caveats and the exemptions considered. Universities were kind of the institution that seemed to be the furthest ahead with this. And so if you look at the list of universities that are actually requiring employees to be vaccinated, the list is quite long and it's actually across the country. Although universities that are requiring this seem to be mostly located in Democratic-leaning states as opposed to Republican-leaning states. But that's a big generalization. It's by no means a rule in terms of where you find these universities. And the list is quite long. They are followed by healthcare providers. There are a handful so far that I found healthcare providers, hospital systems that are now requiring their employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19. And this is a policy that a lot of hospitals have with the flu vaccine requiring employees to be vaccinated against the flu for obvious reasons. You don't want to put your patients at risk of an infection when they're already vulnerable and trying to recover from some illness. The other is sort of a miscellaneous potpourri of companies that have put mandates in place, an airline, some miscellaneous small businesses, restaurants. But in general, 
we really see the mandates are more rare. The incentives are becoming more common. Well, I love the analogy to potpourri. So let's take that wonderful smelling potpourri and let's put some data to it. And I wanted to just look ahead. The Kaiser Family Foundation recently released some survey data that you've been looking at. They kind of put some numbers to these ideas of incentives and what's going to get people to get vaccinated. So what do the numbers show? Yeah, so if you're thinking about carrots to offer... It turns out that it depends on the person. So some folks would rather have money, you know, and so when Kaiser asked consumers, unvaccinated employed adults, whether they would be more likely to get a COVID-19 vaccine if their employer, say, gave them an extra $200, 26% said that would get them to be more likely to get a COVID-19 vaccine. White, unvaccinated, employed adults, 22% said that they would be more likely to get a vaccine if they were offered $200. And 38% of Hispanic, unvaccinated, employed adults said the same. So you have kind of a range of about 22 to 38% saying the money would be good. Paid time off actually was more attractive for some folks. For Hispanic, unvaccinated adults who were employed, 54% said, give me paid time off to get vaccinated and recover, and and I'm more likely to go get the vaccine. The total population, when you ask that, 28% said the same. And then arranging for a medical provider to come to the workplace and vaccinate, again, 38% of Hispanic unvaccinated employed adults said that that would make them more likely. And to me, this says because the Hispanic percentages were so much higher than the overall and the white employed adult numbers, that shows me that what might be keeping a lot of Hispanic workers from getting the vaccine is convenience and ability to access it. That it's difficult to access. I don't have paid time off to go do it, you know, make it more convenient for me and then it will happen. And so I think that's an interesting finding of this Kaiser Family Foundation survey. I was hoping our last topic could be around vaccine passports and where we are with that. And I thought it would be a great juxtaposition if you could kind of talk about where we are with the modern day vaccine passports, the digital passports versus I know your interest in history of the vaccine passports of the past and give us a little, you know, compare contrast. So maybe you could start with modern day. Yeah, so we're starting with the CDC change in the mask policy guidance recently saying basically if you're fully vaccinated, don't worry about wearing a mask indoors or outdoors, except for some cases. And so that brings up the question of, okay, how do you prove that you've been vaccinated? And the answer is you can carry around that little CDC card or you can have a digital vaccine passport. And so we have seen these passports rolled out where basically the information is stored on your smartphone. Some retail pharmacies have actually made it easy for you to prove via their retail pharmacy app that you've been vaccinated. So we have these kinds of, I'd say, a mishmash of ways to carry your vaccine card electronically available. There's not much that's super sophisticated, like in terms of having a QR code that actually allows you in the door of a store or a restaurant, things like that. But there have been a good number of electronic ways of carrying that little card so you don't lose it. I mean, the other simple way to do it is you take a picture of the front and the back and you hope that if someone asks, they take that as proof. But like you said, Ben, these things aren't really new. There's been vaccine passports of one kind or another for over 100 years. 
I bet if you go back even further, we could find examples of them because there's always vaccines are not brand new. And so as long as there's been vaccines and inoculations, there has been people who have wanted to have proof that they were vaccinated or want to require people to prove it. And so you have just examples all over the globe of what you could kind of call vaccine passports. I mean, even back to the 19th century, there were requirements before you board ships in some places that you had been vaccinated against smallpox. Later, those were required to board airplanes. You have the famous World Health Organization yellow card immunization records for yellow fever vaccination proof. And other immunizations are often recorded on those yellow cards as well. I I remember having one when I traveled abroad back following college. And so you have also, you know, even less of a passport, but similar in the 19th century in the American South, yellow fever certificates of acclimation that proved that you had survived about with yellow fever and thus were immune. And that gave white Americans in particular who had been acclimated entrance to jobs and loans and things that other non-acclimated white Americans did not have. Of course, Black Americans and others, you know, were, were completely shut out of that system. But these kinds of things, this would, you could consider something like a vaccine passport or an immunity passport. So it's nothing new, but it's often controversial. And in the United States, it definitely the idea of a vaccine passport that limits you in some way is controversial. And I think, Ben, you've thought about this a little bit and done some research on that. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and we've already seen in some states, the controversy has resulted in state executive orders and potentially legislation in these states going forward. So we've already seen two states which have issued executive orders really barring these passports from being used in terms of gaining entry. So I think you're bringing up a wonderful point, which is we need to look back in history so we don't repeat it. But I think we could also say we got to be careful about you know making mistakes as well in terms of protecting the public health. Well, Trina, again, you've taken us through a lot of great material in a very short time period for our listeners. I think we really started out talking about what's happening with employers and vaccines and, and potential requirements around that. And then we moved from the potential stick to the carrot and all the types of incentives that are being offered. And there's quite a few of those. And then some of the data around those incentives and what makes people tick. And then right into vaccine passports, digital, but also a bit from our past. So thank you for bringing all that to us, Trina. Oh, my pleasure. Well, for more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.